0: For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message.
1: If you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we will continue... Our study of this incredible book, series entitled, A House Divided. A House Divided. So Paul writes these words just by way of reminder, uh, as you think about the theme of this book. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same Mind and the same judgment. And I often read that verse as a Southern Baptist pastor and laugh to myself because um, telling the church to be united and to have no division and to agree together is often like trying to tell uh, two people to get along who are mortal enemies. Sometimes it's, it's tough. Um, the church is renowned for our uh, fighting and bickering with one another, unfortunately. We, we shouldn't have that Um, That reputation but we do and so Paul calls us to agree together and that there be no divisions So two things the church is united to Christ and so we must therefore be united in Christ The same mind the same judgment doesn't mean that we're going to agree about everything But it means that we must come together for the purpose of Agreement and unity, and to look beyond small differences and to agree together on what really matters the most. Unity. But the church can never be in unity if we're too busy tripping over our own egos. Now I'm meddling. But we can't be in unity if we're too busy tripping over our own egos. And so far, the biggest problem in the Church of Corinth, as we've seen, was their pride. They had a lofty opinion about themselves, an overinflated view of how good they were, how wise they were, how successful they were, and an under-realization of how dependent they were on God, His wisdom, and His superiority. The reality is, pride is constantly threatening the church. Confidence in self has to be constantly put in check in the life of the church, certainly in the life of the Christian. If we're going to be effective for the kingdom, we've got to keep self out of the way. Amen? We've got to do that. In order to help the church at Corinth do that, then. They've got to see the problem of pride among them. And Paul then uses two illustrations to help them. The first is a field and the second is a building. Those two illustrations, a field and a building. We're going to look at these two illustrations over the next couple of weeks. What does it look like to seek the kingdom as a field and ourselves as workers in it and then as a building and ourselves as a part of it? So this morning, we'll look at this field and what it looks like to be kingdom workers in the field. If you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. As we begin together, this one paragraph this morning, beginning at verse 5 and going through verse 9. Paul asks the question, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. <clears throat> so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. And looking at next week, God's building. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that this morning we would see very clearly in your word what it means to work the field of the kingdom. I pray that you would empty us of pride and of self. God, would you help us to see where we, like Corinth, have an inflated view of ourselves and our own abilities and our own successes. God, remind us so very clearly of the gospel and our need for Christ. We are desperate for you, Jesus. Without you, we have no hope. Remind us of that this morning so that you... Would receive glory and honor in your church for the growth that you provide, because we know it can only come from you. Lord, I pray that you would cause those here this morning who do not yet know Jesus to be reflective of their own pride, to reflect on how that pride leads to destruction, but that there is a way that it, that leads to eternal life. And the only way is through Jesus. So, God, would you lead them to repentance and faith in Christ today? We, re- we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, two illustrations, right? A field and a building. Things that we can relate to very clearly. But the one question that governs both of those illustrations... At the risk of us running off of these illustrations and applying them in any number of different ways that the Bible does not, there is one question that governs both of them, and it's found in verse 5. What, then, is Apollos? You can include in the same question, what is Paul? And Paul answers, servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Those at the church at Corinth have an inflated view of their own importance to the ministry of the church and its success. In other words, without me, Corinth, you wouldn't be anything. You need me to fill that spot in ministry. Without my ministry, without my particular position, my giving, my serving, the church would just simply fall apart. You need, you need my wisdom, Corinth, if you're going to move forward. And then they began to form interest groups around those positions, signing leaders to them, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, even Jesus, maybe more than that. So Paul, with a hint of sarcasm in response to that lofty opinion of themselves, asked them, Who exactly do you think you are in the kingdom of God? Don't, don't we have the same Problem, the same kind of tendency to think more of ourselves than we should, to think that the church is what it is because of us and because of what we've given and the way that we've served. Paul says, What really is Apollos? What really is Paul anyway? Aren't these leaders among you just servants through whom you've believed? Weren't they just God's mouthpiece? Not one of you. Has believed in the name of Paul or Apollos. They were just used by God. And God is acting. And God is bringing about growth. According to the assignments that he's given in the church. All of this is from God. It's his assignment and his field and his kingdom. It's easy to get an inflated sense of how much better the kingdom is. Because we're a part of it pride and ego and selfishness. Sometimes it's more deceitful and subtle versions. Things like self-pity or simple overconfidence or healthy, as we might call it, competition. I want you to hear this this morning. Human ego distracts, divides, derails And eventually destroys the local church. Human ego distracts, divides, derails, and eventually destroys the local church. In in fact, if you were to get more general than that, human ego destroys all kinds of relationships. Our egos destroy our careers. They destroy our marriages. They destroy families. In fact, if you were to just take every facet of society and you were to just measure it by its success and you were to look at how much of the human ego is involved, what you would find is for a while it may seem successful, but eventually it ends in destruction. Our ego is the very essence of sin. And we turn to ourselves rather than to God. the Bible says that pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. There have been many Christians who in their Christian life have considered themselves invincible before the enemy. Indispensable to the kingdom. But before long, we find ourselves in a mess. Now, I praise God this morning for His grace. Amen? Because there have been many a prideful moment in my life. And were it not for the grace of God, I would be in the very mess of my own pride. Praise God for the cross through which Jesus strips us of all of our pride, all of our abilities, all of our self-righteousness, and shows us our need for God. And the only way to Him through the cross of Jesus... And it is through the gospel that our pride falls and the exalted nature of God is lifted up. And all is right in our lives as a result of Jesus. And Jesus becomes all in all to us. Pride goes before the fall. And what Paul is doing here at the church at Corinth is trying to rid them of that pride. Even as the cross rids us of our pride. And he says it to them to them in this way. It says, you are God's field. Field. Maybe a kind of strange illustration to use. The church at Corinth is like a field. They're not very much familiar with farming entirely, but they get some idea of farming. A harvest field and what that would look like. And Paul says the believers... The church, you're the field, you're the growth, you're the harvest, the, the result or the fruit of hard labor. We at the PUNIAC know what farming is all about, don't we? Hard labor, sweat, blisters, right? I don't know much about farming, but we did some sprinklers the other day, and I'm going to tell you what, the blisters are awful after you've just been digging all day long, right? Muscle pain, arthritis, somebody give me an amen. Right. We start hurting sunburn. Curtis knows all about those sunburns. He's been out in the yard a bit. Right. For years. Sunburn takes a lot of work if you're going to see a harvest in a field. If you're going to be a farmer, you've got to put in the work before you're ever going to see a harvest. And what Paul says to the church of Corinth is you guys are God's field. Now, Scripture is full of this kind of field imagery, right? We could look all throughout Scripture and see all kinds of places where the kingdom of God is like a field, and, and it teaches us what the kingdom of God is like. For example, you might be familiar with the parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 19. If you're not, I would encourage you to go back go back and read that. It's a picture of... The kingdom of God, and there's three types of soil, and the sower is sowing seed. Remember the first two fall on soil it's not receptive. That final soil, that, that, that seed is sown, and it bears fruit, right? Jesus goes on to tell the disciples that they are, they are sowing this seed, and the seed is the word of God. And where it takes root in the human heart, that's, that's good soil. might be one place that we would look to to see this imagery. Or you might recall Matthew chapter 9. Remember Jesus is going throughout all the cities and the villages, Matthew tells us. Teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every disease and every affliction. It's this giant picture of evangelism and ministry that Jesus is doing all throughout Jerusalem and Judea. And yet, when he saw the crowds... Matthew tells us that he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus says this to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Again, it's God's field to send out laborers into his harvest. So you might go to Matthew chapter 9 and see that there's a great need to reap a harvest from this evangelistic mission field. The imagery is common throughout scripture. But Paul places them back in the field in two ways. First, they are the field itself. He says, you are God's field. They, along with all the believers, not just Believers at Corinth, but the church universal, all of them are God's field collectively. If you think about all the believers in Walton County, we are God's field. And in one sense, the local church is an expression of that. The second way that they are in the field is that they are workers in the field. Gathering more harvests, planting, watering. Plowing, cultivating, all the things that come along with seeing a harvest, they're doing the work. Paul is doing that. Apollos is doing that. They're examples that Paul gives here. But others are working in the field in various ways. Some of them sharing Jesus with their neighbor. Some of them perhaps playing an instrument in worship. Some of them caring for fatherless children and orphan care. Some of them feeding the hungry or caring for the widow. Some of them leaving and going on mission for the Lord. All kinds of believers, all kinds of different jobs, planting all kinds of kingdom seeds, watering those seeds, maybe even perhaps watering seeds that they did not plant themselves. But all of them working this field for the sake of the harvest. So they are the field. They're in the field. And Paul uses this illustration to make his point plain. And the point is not about who they are necessarily in the field. But who the field belongs to. And who is actually making the field successful. Now watch this. Verse 6. I planted Apollo's water. Lots of work going on. Lots of blisters. Arthur is very present in this case, right? Some of y'all know what I mean by Arthur. I'll ask later. But he says, God gave the growth. He says it twice. Verse 6 says it again in verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. By the way, he's he's not reducing the value of Planting and watering and working. There is great value and great obedience in working the field. We'll come back to that later. It's not that they're unimportant. It's that when you compare them to what he's about to say, they are as nothing. Paul says, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. The emphasis in the passage is on God. It is God who provides the growth. The task of working the field, planting the field, watering the field, all of that has been assigned by God to believers. So that came from God. We've got to be faithful to do the work. That's obedience to God. But the decisive role in bringing forth increase, the decisive growth Agent in the church who brings about harvest, salvation, more people to the church, expanding the kingdom is not human programs. It's not human leaders. It's not the right pastor. It's not the right group of people. It's not even location, location, location. It is God who provides the growth in the church. And God will not stand by. Hear this, church. God will not stand by and let people, human people, take credit for what he alone deserves. So here's Paul's point. God is sovereign over the growth of his church. God is sovereign over the growth of his church. Fighting over... What program is most important or what position matters most? All of those things are frivolous debates because we can have all of the right things in place and not accomplish anything for the kingdom. God alone will provide growth and increase in his church. And by the way, when it happens, it will happen in such a way that he alone can receive the credit. The Southern Baptist Convention, one year, there was a church that was being examined for doctrinal issues. The decision was on the floor whether to remove this church based on what we believe primarily as Southern Baptists as a a whole in the Baptist faith and message. And the belief for the doctrine of this church was contrary against what we have said we believe as a convention. At the time, this church was no small contributor to the Southern Baptist Convention. In fact, this was, at the time, the largest Southern Baptist church in the entire denomination of some odd 47,000 Southern Baptist churches. As the issue was coming to the point of decision, the pastor of this particular church rose to speak from the microphone. And he was given the floor. Much time, in fact. He didn't back down from his doctrinal position at all. Instead, he said these words. I want you to listen closely. You know, it's customary for a guy who's about to be hung... Let him say his dying words. Of course, the room erupts in laughter. He said, I have no intention of defending myself. I have taught my kids and grandkids for years. I am most like Christ when I refuse to defend myself. He had already opened when he came to the microphone by saying that in the county that the Southern Baptist Convention was meeting in that time, out of the 149 churches, Southern Baptist churches, in that county, 90 of them were started by this particular church. And then he paused for applause. So when he came to the microphone, he said, I could not have built my church to the size and influence, to this size and influence in any other denomination. And though he said he would not defend himself, building on the Southern Baptist Convention, he said this. I love Southern Baptists. I am a fourth generation Southern Baptist pastor. My great-grandfather was led to Christ by Charles Spurgeon. And he continued. Because of Southern Baptist polity, I was allowed to serve one church for life and grew it to become the largest church in this convention. Pause. Because Southern Baptist gave me a passion for evangelism and mission, we baptize. 56,631 new believers. Pause. And as a Southern Baptist church, sent 26,869 members overseas to 197 nations. Applause. Because Southern Baptist taught me the value of membership covenant, 78,157 members of our church Signed our covenant after taking a four-hour membership class. More applause. Because Southern Baptist taught me to emphasize the priority of Bible study, we now have 9,173 Bible studies in homes in 162 cities. Because Southern Baptist taught me the value of church planting, we planted 90 in our own county alone and literally thousands around the world. Because Southern Baptist taught me to honor and love the local church, I've had the privilege for 43 years of training 1.1 million pastors. And then he says, that, sorry friends, is more than all of the seminaries put together. Keep in mind he's defending himself. As being able to stay in the Southern Baptist Convention. And after each statement with a sarcastic grin. He paused for more applause. What's missing from his defense? Did you catch it? God is Nowhere did he mention what God had done. In adding to his church what God had done in saving souls. God had been replaced by human effort. And human effort had created a lot of opportunities, but at the end of the day, does it honor the Lord that we achieve human success and He doesn't get credit for growing His church? Sadly, this pastor did not lead his church to turn from doctrinal error. And if I were to give you the name of the pastor, many of you would have books written by him on your shelf at home. The church has been removed from the Southern Baptist Convention. I only share this story with you this morning to tell you this. That we are in equal danger of being in the same position of falling prey to human effort and human success and our own egos more than we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God. To provide the growth that only he can. If we're not careful. We may not speak it from the floor. Before 12,000 Southern Baptists. Or thousands more watching remotely. But we will make the same claim. With our attitude and our actions. Inside the local church. On the other hand. If we can keep the reality. That we are 100% dependent upon God. For everything. Before us, we will be a people that will be everly, ever more dependent on God and eager to see Him move and desperate for that to happen and humbly seeking Him and faithful in our obedience to Him. It will keep us faithful and obedient. It will keep us worshiping and grateful when He does what He only can do. It will keep us in unity as we seek the glory of God and the glory of God alone. God is sovereign over the growth of his church. So where then should we see ourselves in the field? Where should we see ourselves in relationship to God, the one who owns the field, the one who causes the growth in the field, or you might just simply call it in his church? Where do we see ourselves in relationship That's the question Paul is driving at, and that he wants Corinth to see, and certainly that the Lord would want us to see. And so there are three relationships in this passage to the field that you, as an individual believer, should understand in your life. Number one, see the beauty of God's grace in being a part of his harvest. See the beauty of God's grace in being a part of his harvest. This is the first relationship. You see yourself in the field. It is seeing yourself as the field. He says, you are God's field. And the way that you became a part of God's field is what is said at the beginning of verse 5. Right? So, see it all there in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? These are just servants. Through these servants, though, the preaching of the word, what God is doing through them, you believed, he says. Through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each. So all this is being ordered by the sovereign hand of God, and then he says later, you are God's field. The people who have believed are a part of the field. Paul and Apollos are laborers. And there are other laborers in the harvest. But the fact is, there is a harvest. Amen? Our God saves. God is Causing new birth to spring out, spring up out of a lost and dying world as He, by His Holy Spirit, draws all people to Jesus and people see the saving love of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed for us on the cross. And when people see that and put their faith in Jesus, they're born again and they become a part of God's harvest. You see, for God in the Labor field, in the field of harvest, it was not a sunburn that was the sacrifice that God gave in order that we might be saved. It was a sun slaying, the Bible says. The Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world, Jesus. Shed his blood in order that you might be saved. And the beauty of this is that you actually get to be a part of God's great harvest because of what Christ has done, the ultimate sacrifice that was paid for us. And God's not planting mustard seeds and acorns and orange seeds and apple seeds, He's planting His word. The Word of God is the seed of evangelism, and God implants his true inerrant living and breathing word in the hearts of people, and by his Holy Spirit cultivates that word. He brings it to life. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So I'm grateful. For the seed that was planted in my life and your life to bring about faith. And then beyond that, the seed is planted by people, praise God. He is a sign that there would be... Laborers in the harvest, that there would be workers who would come and proclaim the gospel. Praise God for the people in my life that proclaim the gospel to me again and again. Praise God for parents in my life that taught me about Jesus. Praise God for the church that worked the field that is my life in order that I might know Christ. I'm grateful for those. There are many in your life that did the same. Countless people. People that you may have even forgotten their names or may not even know their names that God has used. Oh, the beauty of God's grace. The fact that you are a part of the harvest. None of that depends on me. I was just not the part of the harvest. You you don't have a flower that magically grows itself. Something, somebody, somewhere acts upon that flower in order that it comes to life, or that tree in order that it comes to life, if no one else but God himself. It is not that we are saved by any work of our own. God brings us to life out of deadness. So praise God for his grace. And the fact that God is sovereign over the growth of His church, because it means today I'm a part Because of what God has done in me. And I tell you this morning that if you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, God has done and has been doing amazing things to lead you to the point of where you are today. And if we could only tell the stories across this room of what God did in our life, when we weren't even aware, to bring us to the place that we are now, today. Even after becoming a Christian, all the things that he's ordered for us so that this day we would be worshipers and God is leading you today. He's placed you in this place so that you might hear the word. He has protected you and your life as far. He's giving you breath in order that you might confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Won't you do that today? Won't you trust him for salvation today? There's a second thing. It's not just the beauty of being a part of the harvest. It doesn't end there. It's it's not, I'm going to heaven, I'm in, I'm good. That's, That's not the Christian life. It's the second relationship. See the honor of God's commission as one of His fellow workers. See the honor of God's commission as one of His fellow workers. Verse 5. Paul says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Here's what they are. Servants. Through whom you believe. And the Lord has assigned them. The end of verse 5. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God has commissioned you. So first off, don't. Rob God of the credit with your attitude toward the church. Don't rob God of the credit with your boasting about what you can do in the kingdom. Don't rob God of the credit by mistreating those in the church. You have been honored by our Heavenly Father with a gracious gift of working in the kingdom. You've been given a plow. <laughs> You've been given a place. You've been given a responsibility, a task. Don't rob God of the honor by making it all about you. It's an honor to be chosen by God to sweat for him. To cry with him. To plead with him. To speak for him. To teach for him. To minister and to love for him. The king of heaven. Don't miss this. The king of heaven has said, come, be a part of my kingdom, and I want you to speak on my behalf. What an honor. What an honor it is to be a Christian. Jesus, the very king with all authority, said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He has given us the commission. It's a holy honor, and we should be eager to be a part of it. We should be faithful at the plow. We should do our job with diligence and with joy because the King has called. There are two kinds of workers then in the kingdom. There's some who plant and there's some who water. Some of you are going to spend a whole lot of time planting and not see a whole lot of harvest. Some of you are going to spend a lot of time watering the seeds that other people have planted. And by the way, if somebody else in another church ends up watering the seeds we've planted, praise God for that. Because we're the field. But there's only one person who can actually cause the growth. It's God. And we are fellow workers with Him. So some of you this morning might be planting seeds, I would be content in that the authority of God's word. It's okay. It's an honorable place to be. Keep planting the seeds. You say, I don't see any success. Nobody's trusting in Jesus. I keep inviting people to church. They don't come to church. I just don't get it. You keep planting seeds. You're not responsible for what God's responsible for. You're responsible for the seeds. Don't stop being faithful with the seeds. This is what happens. We stop working when we stop seeing an outcome. Because we forget that God's responsible for the outcome, not us. So you keep being faithful. Keep planting the seeds. Some of you right now are watering seeds that you planted a long time ago or somebody else did. Keep watering. Keep cultivating. So the day you take your last breath, we work the field Why? Because we have the honor of being commissioned by the king as one of his fellow workers. Third. See the reward of God's eternal kingdom to all of those who trust in Christ. See the reward of God's eternal kingdom to all those who trust in Christ. Verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters has anything. Watch this. The only God who gives growth. minimizes the work of people. Maximizes the work of God. Not that it's unimportant to work. But it's not decisive. In verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one. And then he says. Each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. Now you've got to be careful here. Now, be careful not to get twisted up, because if you read verse 8, you may come away with a works-based approach to evangelism, or to even salvation. Paul is not saying here, in this passage, that that somehow by more work, that there is more reward. Now, that is taught in Scripture in some ways, we could spend time looking at those. Perhaps you could go in just 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this, Paul says this, chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this: whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And Paul's talking about giving. He's talking about the collection of the saints. The need to give of our income to support the work of the ministry. And he's saying, don't be reluctant in that. He says God loves a cheerful giver. So there is a sowing and a reaping when it comes to our giving. You might go back to Matthew chapter 25. It talks about the parable of the talents. Where there was things that were entrusted to faithful believers. And some of them were faithful. Some of them were not. It's a matter of stewardship. What God has given us. To use for the sake of his kingdom. But here Paul does not distinguish between the two works. Actually he makes them on the same level ground. Did you notice that? Don't miss it. Paul makes the two workers. Neither one who waters or plants anything. It's God who provides the increase. He's making it level there. And he says they're actually one. In other words. This is not a different levels of reward, this is the very fact we actually get a reward for all the labor that we've been doing. Church, isn't that encouraging and faith-filling to know that one day whenever we face Jesus and we give an account of our lives and how we spend our lives for the kingdom as believers, that he will say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with what I gave you. Church, there is reward that is coming. And whether it comes this side of heaven or not, it is not a thankless job to be a Christian or to work the field. Sometimes serving here in this world is a thankless job, though. Sometimes you'll volunteer in the nursery and nobody will say thank you and everybody will complain. Sometimes you'll witness to a neighbor and they'll laugh at you, maybe even spit in your face. Sometimes conflict will arise in the church because people don't feel like they get the credit that they're due. But when God alone is to be credited, you know what happens? Offenses are quickly forgiven. Feelings don't get hurt quite as easily. It doesn't matter whether I'm thanked or not. It feels good, but it's not my motivation. My motivation is the glory of the King. And when that is true, not only do we understand what it means to lay pride down, that the church is in unity. So where does that leave us? If Jesus ultimately is the one who provides the growth in his church, it leads us with one of two responses this morning. This morning, Jesus is calling you to believe the gospel and to be saved. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus' as Lord and Savior, you are the growth that God desires today in his church. Today, if you would turn from your sins and trust in him by his Holy Spirit, he's calling you. You just simply respond in faith then God will save you. You'll be saved from an eternity in hell, separating from God into an eternity with God. You'll be restored to him. John says this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God. That's the desire of God's heart that you know him today. In fact, another place where. Jesus was describing a pseudo-harvest when he talked about the vine and the branches in John 15. He says, those that don't abide in Christ and bear fruit, like we're talking about this morning, ultimately are gathered and burned. It's a picture of eternal judgment. See, without Jesus, you have no hope this morning. So that would be your first response. Become a part of the kingdom. The second response for those who know Christ is very simple. Work the field. Work the field. And you trust God. And glorify God. When the results come. With every head bowed. Every eye closed this morning. Some of you need to come. And trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Here's what I want to ask you to do. In just a few moments. If that's you this morning. You're willing to turn from your sin. And trust in Christ. I want to invite you. Where you'll be standing in a few moments. To step out of that aisle. Walk down this aisle today, say to me, Pastor, today I want to be saved. And I'll lead you to Jesus, and Jesus will save you today. Just trust Him. You say, I don't know all the answers. I'm not perfect. I haven't got it all figured out yet. Jesus is the one who's perfect. He'll be your righteousness, and He alone can save you. So will you come today in just a few moments? Uh, Others of you in this room, you need to pray about. where is God desire for you to serve? How faithful are you being in the field? How trusting are you that the results are up to him? Some of you may be weary. You may be discouraged. But all of that's up to the king. You just keep on serving. Today, this morning, would you recommit? Would you recommit your life to serving Jesus with all of your heart? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do all across the room. Would you stand with me? Dylan's going to lead us in a time of singing. I'm going to pray. And our invitation will begin. This altar's open. You come this morning. Lord Jesus, you are our king. We give you all that we are. And we ask that you would restore in us a vision of the beauty of the gospel. And that you would lead us this morning to join you as fellow workers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning as we sing.
0: You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, and grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.